Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today. And I am super excited to have uh, Sean Casey on today. He actually works for another pharmacy, and he's going to talk talking about nutritional supplementation for athletes. We talk about supplements quite often. We talk about athletes quite often. And um, a few months back, we had a show on how all of us should actually treat our bodies like an athlete. So even if you're not an athlete, this is going to be pertinent to you today. So uh, without further ado, Sean, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me on today. I really appreciate it and the opportunity to brainstorm and discuss good things as it relates to health, wellness, and uh, athletic performance. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about your history. Introduce yourself and tell us how you got into this uh, um, subject matter. All right. So uh, my background is uh, I went to school, um, University of Wisconsin. Um, I got a degree in dietetics as well as uh, kinesiology with exercise physiology. And it was actually kind of interesting. When I went to school, I was going for uh, sports medicine. I was thinking being like a physical therapist. And then I job shadowed over the summer with a uh, physical therapy. And I realized the only time I enjoyed it was when an athlete got hurt. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? I'm excited because an athlete is hurt. If this is not the most bass backwards idea you've had. So <laughs> that's when I decided to kind of get on the front side of that injury with kind of more of the proactive uh, standpoint. Um, and I made the goals of um, I want to be the youngest strength conditioning coach in the NFL, as well as attend the Olympics to watch athletes I work with compete. Um, and I realized that's a competitive thing. So that's when I added the dietetics degree to it. And I was uh, fortunate to have some good experiences uh, right out of the gate. Um, kind of was able to hit the the checkmark box with the Olympians. So I've been very fortunate. Uh, but how I actually got into the supplement side of things was I enjoy biochemistry. And when I was working with a lot of clients, found that you know, as much as I love taking like five different ingredients and kind of mad scientists putting them together, I found not too many athletes enjoyed that. And so I was trying to find easier way to make solutions with blended powders with efficacious doses. So that's how I kind of looped into the um, supplement world. And then I was uh, fortunate to connect with a hometown pharmacy here in Wisconsin uh, with a lot of collaborations. Yeah. So tell. So your dietitian degree is it a traditional um, dietitian? Is that the schooling you went to? Yep, it was a traditional di- uh, dietitian school. Um, what I can tell you is, by traditional diet- dietitian standards, I'm a little bit more on uh, the different end um, with respect to uh, you know some of the things with you know recommendations. Um, I, I try to be really progressive in that regards. Yeah, I, and the reason I ask that, Sean, is because we've had uh, quite a few dietitians on our um, podcast, and um, a lot of them have become um, coaches or personal trainers. Mm-hmm. And th- what they learned traditionally, some of them even actually got out of the traditional dietitian world because mm-hmm. of how. Um, the traditional dietitian was recommending to cardiovascular patients and diabetics uh-huh. um, wasn't really the best, most sound education. Yeah. What, what I can kind of to build off that, I remember I was going through my dietetic rotations, doing my diabetes unit. Uh, you know, at that time they were still allowing, you know, five carb choices per meal, which was about 75 grams of carbs three times <sighs> a day with along with like, you know, one to two carb choices as snacks. 
So, I mean, I think at the one point you could have had like 275 grams of carbs as a type 2 diabetic, which uh, I have athletes who don't even have that amount. I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> that's a I lot. Mean, the only time I'll have that many carbs is on a day when I ride my bike in a race for five hours. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, that is a lot of carbs. Yes. Yeah, so, so it was a lot. So um, I, I definitely branched a different way. I uh, That was, you know, recommendations I, I was not comfortable with, sh- with sharing with other, uh, with diabetes, but um, but no, so uh, like I said, uh, more progressive and kind of just went a different direction. Again, kind of uh, doing the best to kind of reverse disease processes or prevent them from ever happening. Yeah. So tell us about athletes, supplementation and athletes. Um, let's get into the nitty gritty of that. No. So uh, I love looking at ways to maximize human performance. Um, you know, when you can kind of squeeze out an extra uh, four or five you know, percent is pretty neat. Um, but you know, it's always interesting when people come looking for, uh, supplements, looking at, you know, be it the, the fanciest pre-workouts or, you know, all these type of things before I d- dive into those higher apples, I just start looking at basic nutrients. Um, I think it can somewhat sometimes be lost of like, Hey, vitamin D is really important. Yeah. Magnesium, really important. They're, they're not really sexy on a label, but they're <laughs> pretty critical for right. uh, performance. And, and 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 really, you know, when I think about the vitamin D, I, I, that's you know, and I think I kind of alluded to this a little bit in our discussion today when I introduced it, is that you know, vitamin D is just a, a base for everybody, whether yeah. athlete or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just need plenty of vitamin D and magnesium. Mm-hmm. So, and and athletes might you know, need a few more things. But in general, this is going to really yeah. actually pertain to every individual. No, that, that's correct. You know, the, the one thing that we always have is like a, a foundational six I'm always looking at. And yeah. these are six nutrients. Ideally, we'd be getting from food, but, you know, due to modern lifestyle, things can be really challenging. And for me, those baselines are always, you know, an omega-3, magnesium, a multivitamin, vitamin D, um, one that always surprised people, even just for general health, but creatine. Uh, when you look at the brain health benefits, creatine are pretty fascinating. Um, so those, and then, you know, it's always good to get fiber, you know, preferably from, from food. But those are always kind of my bases. I want to make sure that people have in place before we start looking at more um, more targeted ones. So let's talk about creatine a little bit. Um, I would have never thought of it for brain health, honestly. So educate me. And why, I think when we think of creatine, I think of it for, you know, more for athletic performance, but you're mm-hmm. saying that it should be a foundational nutrient. Foundational nutrient. Tell um, me about it. So some really kind of fascinating stuff. So again, people think about creatine in terms of muscle power, things yeah. of that nature. But I always tell people creatine is nothing more than the electrician of your body. It supplies energies in, in your cells. So yes, obviously our muscles need energy, but our brain also needs a lot of energy too. Um, there's been some neat research with creatine showing that, uh, you know, especially if you get low amount from your diet, but uh, creatine has been able to show, like if you have to think really quick on the spot to improve that ability. Uh, it's also been shown, um, don't quote me on this, but I think there's six published studies now showing it, uh, creatine improved symptoms of mood. Um, so if you're adding it on to traditional, you know, medications have been shown to enhance that effect. Uh, and then the other uh, one with creatine as it relates to brain health is um, there's been studies, and this was actually done in adolescence, where if there's a traumatic brain injury, um, if you use high-dose creatine afterwards, the symptoms were less severe and they resolved much quicker. 
Um, that was kind of a neat study uh, in back in 08 out of a place out of Canada um, center. So, so I always think like, okay, oh, the other neat thing, this is more body wise, but creatine's also been shown uh, to lower HA1, uh, A1C levels um, by 1.2%. So again, so that's where I always go back to. It's, you know, beat if you're a young person, active, you know, risk of a uh, concussion, or let's say if you're an elderly person, you know, we're starting to lose muscle mass. Um, you always had the fall of, you know, tripping, hitting your head, you know, as much armor as we can put on the body, I'm a fan of. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of muscle mass, my guess is, you know, creatine to increase lean body mass is one of the ways it helps to burn glucose and lower hemoglobin A1C. That's kind of my thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. It uh, kind of on more of a nerdy level. Um, it's been shown to increase like GLUT4 transporters um, to the muscle cell just with how it kind of burns through ATP and how it regenerates it. So that's a thing. If you can increase that engine, you can all of a sudden start using uh, more glucose from your bloodstream. So tell us what food sources um, are high in creatine. The only food sources that are high in creatine um, is meat. So anyone who's following uh, like a vegetarian or vegan diet is really going to struggle from getting it from meat. And I should say, even if you're, uh, you know, uh, um, if you eat meat, you have to eat a lot of it. I think to get, you know, what they're seeing in research to kind of support muscle is kind of that minimum of three to five grams if you're going for brain health. The brain health is not necessarily fully... Uh, um, uh, elucidated, but they're looking at roughly most of the studies I've been seeing are 10 grams or more. And so to get five grams of creatine, I think you need to eat about three to four pounds of meat um, per Whoa. day. So <laughs> yeah. like, if you're a That's hardcore a lot carnivore, meat. maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hardcore carnivore. Sean Baker probably gets enough creatine. In yeah. but other than that, yeah, three pounds of meat is a lot of meat. Uh-huh. So tell us about supplementation then. Do you supplement with five to 10 grams a day or in yeah. a powder form or yeah. how is that? Um, yeah, I usually use powder form. Uh, the, the reason, the one of the things I like about creatine just in general is uh, we're working with a lot of people. I just find a lot of people don't like swallowing pills at, just in general. So that's always one of the things that makes creatine a little bit easier. It's in powder form. And so um, it's tasteless. So it's not like it's going to give an off taste to anything. Um, so you can add it, say, into uh, juice or into coffee or into a smoothie in the morning. Um, but so usually five grams for there. If someone's going for more of the brain health benefits, uh, closer to 10 grams per day. And is it heat labile? So it's okay to put in hot coffee? The Some of the original research was actually done in uh, coffee, uh, which is always fascinating. So there's always kind of that, that discussion, you know, is there potential any interaction between, say, coffee as well as uh, creatine? Um, the research is kind of mixed. Um, if somebody's going to go play it real conservative, keep it in something cold. But I haven't seen enough research um, to make me think that it has a big effect if it's in like a hotter liquid. Well, I mean, if I think about it, if it comes from, if it's in meat sources, it's probably fairly stable is, mm -hmm. is my guess. Yeah. Um, so what about weight gaining creatine? I know that athletes sometimes gain weight when they take creatine is what I've heard. Can you tell us about that? Can you tell us about the average consumer? Should they be concerned? Even if it is lean body mass and, you know, should we worry about the scale? Let's just go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Definitely a rabbit <laughs> hole it is. <laughs> um, so with creatine, um, you, you are going to have a little bit of weight gain. Um, you know, I usually see, you know, some people have very minimal, maybe, you know, 
two to three pounds, you know, if somebody's doing like a high loading dose right off the gate there, you might see, you know, a a quicker jump in terms of weight. But I find for most people kind of balances out anywhere from, you know, two to four pounds um, from there. The big thing, you know, on the rabbit hole kind of you're going through is, is the scale what we should be looking at versus, you know, the lean body mass, which I'm well aware of. You know, the only individuals where I don't do much creatine because it does have that uh, impact on weight gain is if you're someone's if I'm working with an athlete who competes in uh, a weight class restricted sport, yeah. be it you know wrestling or something of that nature. Yeah. So when it, what about creatine and kidney function? I know years ago creatine was kind of vilified for possibly um, hurting your kidneys. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so th- that was, you know, kind of the original early concern um, with the effect of creatine. But, you know, every study that's come out in, say, the last, you know, 20 to 30 years uh, has looked very favorable in terms of impacts on kidney health. Um, that being said, if you have a pre-existing kidney condition, you know, always, you know, consult with the, the healthcare pr- uh, practitioner. Um, but all the long-term studies that I've seen, including studies that are multiple years in length and very high doses, it's been very safe uh, from a kidney function standpoint. Um, the one thing you can get a little bit, and it'll, uh, if you have your blood levels of creatinine measured, um, it can give a false positive because creatine will break down into creatinine. So um, there's, I, I literally named or mind blanked on the test, but there's another test that you should be running, you know, to assess kidney function if you have those elevated levels of creatinine. But it's, uh, I always tell people, it's kind of like if you're a type 2 diabetic, uh, we know metformin um, decreases B12. And so, you know, if you go with a high dose of B12, you're going to have slightly elevated levels. Uh, it's the same thing with creatine as well. There is that uh, um, potential. But like I said, in terms of actual kidney function, um, very clean. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. They, I've actually seen a couple studies in uh, dialysis patients where they had to add creatine back into their um, dialysis. And they actually had better um, improvements in terms of quality of life measures. Interesting. I, I think the most important thing um, when it comes to, well, just overall health too, is is hydration. I think Correct. in some of those early creatine studies, I think, you know, maybe some of the patients were, were dehydrated. Um, and I think also when you're talking about creatinine, also, you know, as you know, many athletes, if you check creatinine only, <laughs> they're, they're going to look like they have... You know, I, I get it all the time. Um, you know, anybody with a lot of lean body mass has um, a higher creatinine because creatinine comes from breakdown of muscle tissue. Mm-hmm. So automatically, you get a creatinine 1.4, 1.5. They think you're going into kidney failure, and you know, you have to look at the overall picture of that of that mm-hmm. person in order to to um, really assess that. And I do. I forgot the name of that test. Sean Baker talked about the name of that kidney test and I, I needed it. I need to figure that one out. So if you find that, um, please shoot me a note. I'd love to know. No, I, I can literally do it. It was one of those things where like, well, I'm tip my tongue and I went to say it and I'm like, boom, mind blank. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because I have a twin brother who's a bodybuilder and he. Uh-huh. we were talking the same subject and he, he drew a blank too. So, uh-huh. um, but yeah, I do want to know the name of that test because I think it's more, it assesses kidney function um better than just creatinine alone mm-hmm. no and and it's and it's neat too because like you know uh 
Creatine has in, in so many different health conditions outside of the whole athletic realm, like so many benefits uh, on it. So, but I, I could go on a soapbox on that forever, but I'd probably bore yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. No, let, so, what's the what's the next supplement we want to we want to talk right. about? Magnesium. Yep, magnesium. Okay. Um, magnesium is a pretty uh, cool one. Uh, it helps with energy production, so it's just part of the normal uh, ATP uh, you know cycle in that regards uh, in terms of formation. Uh, the big thing that I think people miss with uh, magnesium, just as it relates to overall athletic performance, is the benefits that magnesium has on both sleep as well as reducing anxiety. So I always think about overtraining uh, syndrome in a lot of the, hi the high-level athletes I work with of running themselves into the ground. We know that if someone's higher stressed, if somebody is having trouble sleeping, uh, that's going to greatly increase the risk of falling into that overtraining syndrome. And so those are... Uh, you know, besides the normal muscle contraction, energy production, where I really love magnesium and a lot of people, um, either A, they don't eat pumpkin seeds or B, they don't eat a lot, a lot of dark leafy greens. So a lot of people are running around deficient in it. And tell us about the different forms of magnesium. There's different, there's magnesium oxide, there's magnesium glycinate. Um, tell us about those. All right. Uh, the other, uh, magnesium oxide, I always tell people is like taking a bunch of rocks, throwing it at a wall and expecting yeah. to see results. Uh, Really nice if you want to have a colon cleanse. Not so great if you actually want to absorb it into the body um, with there. So what we put a lot of emphasis on is like your magnesium glycinate. Um, I like that form just because glycinate is glycine, which has some relaxing benefits on its own. Um, and then, you know, I've also used uh, my magnesium malate um, with uh, clients as well. Again, another form that's uh, more highly absorbed than the oxide. Um, which Mali does play into the um, the energy uh, Krebs cycle. So those are usually the ones that I'm going with uh, along with A, getting uh, from food first and then backing up with supplements. Well, and one thing I think about magnesium and you kind of hit on a little bit, it's like if... Um... You know, if if your supplement, whether it be calcium, whether it be magnesium, or whether it be iron, is causing GI problems, either diarrhea or constipation, that means it's not being absorbed. Yeah. So that means you probably need a different form of it. So um, that's a good point on on magnesium. Um, you know, if if you want it to be absorbed, you need you need the good form of it, glycinate. Um, and speaking of smooth muscle, we did did you talk about the smooth muscle relaxant properties of magnesium? No, I, I didn't talk about, but that's another great feature of it. Um, you know, it's I, I always look at magnesium as I always put like characters with all the supplements. And I always look at magnesium as kind of like the therapist of your body that literally just relaxes everything. You know, it relaxes your blood pressure, it relaxes, you know, uh, muscle cramps, restless legs, sleep. So those are all cool benefits. And what's the next one? Vitamin D. Vitamin D. We could talk about vitamin D for eight hours. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I tell patients, I tell everyone, if there's one supplement, only one supplement you pick to take, I think it should be vitamin D. Yeah. Everybody's deficient, especially mm -hmm. in northern latitudes, and um, it's safe and it's inexpensive. So yeah. vitamin D is a hormone in itself. That's why it does mm -hmm. so much. So now I'll let you talk about it. No, uh, vitamin D, I think you hit the nail on the head, has so many health benefits. Uh you know, everything from muscle recovery to overall mental health and wellness, um, immune function. Uh, I, I think that's a critical one. And, you know, it's interesting. We do a lot of vitamin D testing um, at our pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've worked with entire, be it school districts, a lot of different things where we do testing with the entire thing. We had a district that we tested. This would have been 
August 30, 29th, I want to say, was the date of this past year. And they also talk about, you know, the sunshine hormone. Yeah. So we did the, we, we did test with everyone. Uh, the average score on that was a 24 um, nanograms per milliliter. The highest anyone had was a 38. So I live in Wisconsin to give everyone like a sense of breath. But I think it was a very, sh- you know, very surprising for the entire district to realize like, hey, even though that some of them are already taking vitamin D, so, you know, it's the summer months where you're outside more how low everyone was despite the environmental like uh you know being favorable for vitamin d levels yeah in the middle of summer but here's one of the things northern latitudes yep you're in northern latitudes so the sun is not hitting hitting Mm -hmm. it hitting us like it would at the equator and um i mean sure we're we're outside but are we outside that much and are we covered up you know, most of the time we're wearing shirts. Um, you know, we're wearing sunscreen because we don't want to get skin cancer. That's a whole other story. Um, but uh, most of the time we're we're covered up and we're protecting ourselves from the sun to prevent sunburn. So that that stops the production of vitamin yeah. D in our skin when we do that. So, mm-hmm. and when people are taking vitamin D, and I'll, I'll let you hit on this a little bit. You know, they they take it in their multivitamin, mm-hmm. or they take a thousand units a day. And and tell us what the dose really should be, Sean. Gosh, I, I think for most people, you should be at a minimum of 5,000 IUs based off what I've seen. Um, we do a lot of 10,000, you know, IUs as well. And, you know, and the other point, you know, kind of building off what you were saying in terms of just the sunlight is, I always tell people, if you're inside from, even during the summer months, if you're sitting in a, you know, a room from 8 o'clock until 5 o'clock in the afternoon, if you're outside walking at 7 a.m. in the morning or 7 p.m. at night, you're not going to get those strong rays even during the summer. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Cause what is it? 10, 10 to two is when the sun's rays yep. are the strongest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most of us are inside then. Yeah. You know, especially during the week. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my, my uh, thought on vitamin D is most patients, I'm about the same latitude you guys are. And most of our patients will do better between five and 10,000 units a day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a 50,000 unit um, vitamin D that you can take once a week. Um, that will uh, give you about 7,200 units a day, um, which is perfect. Vitamin D does not have to be taken every day because it is fat-soluble and has a half-life of 19 days. So you can't actually take it um, once a week or even less at the right dose. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's an excellent one. And again, that's one that's hard to get from food. Um, I always tell people like, uh, I think you'd have to eat like 14 cups of white mushrooms a day or, you know, three gallons of fortified milk a day. <laughs> like right, it's another right. one that's really hard to get from food alone. <laughs> right, right. Well, and you know, what I learned in pharmacy school was, you know, vitamin D is a dangerous hormone because it's fat soluble. You got to be careful about overdosing and 400 units was what was recommended. And that's why you'll see most multivitamins will have 400 units a day yeah. of vitamin D. And that's just, it, it, that's just a waste. It's almost like, yeah. why do they put anything in there? <laughs> vitamin D is something you usually have to have to supplement with yeah. separately in a separate supplement because you need so much of it. I, I know. When I look at a multivitamin, I see the vitamin D dose. I like I have the mental image of like taking a bottle of water, dumping it into the ocean, and expecting to see the water level rise. <laughs> right. Right. That's a really good point. Yeah. It's like spitting in the wind. It, I mean, it's, 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 it's nothing. And I, I think it's important for us to tell our patients that too. Yeah. And with vitamin D supplementation, because I'll see a lot of patients and their, you know, the vitamin D is like, you know, like you say, 38 or something, which is not optimal. It's it's in the normal range, but not optimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you ask them about the vitamin D they're taking, and they 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 take a thousand units a day, and it's almost like 
it's just like almost taking nothing. I mean, you know, so if you do have those capsules that are a thousand units a day, take five of them. And then when those are gone, you know, get a supplement that's, you know, 5,000 units a day. No, that, that, that's always a good one. Um, so we hit, let me think, magnesium, the vitamin D. What about omega-3s? Th- omega omega-3s, yep. Um, omega-3s, uh, again, um, almost everyone is uh, deficient in uh, omega-3s. Um, the I, I don't have too many clients that eat anchovy pizza four nights a week, so usually we have to go with supplemental form there. Yeah. Um, I always look at omega-3s as kind of like the firefighters of your body. They help to control inflammation in the body, and we know that if we're highly inflamed, that's going to sl- not only slow down muscle recovery, but um, have negative impacts on eye health, brain health, and just the entire gamut of, you know, health and wellness. I, I like that analogy of the firefighters at Omega-3s, and that's that's kind of what they are. They just kind of put out the fires from all the inflammation that we're bombarded with every day. Mm-hmm. No. And the, the neat thing on Omega-3s is that's if you know someone's baseline levels. Um, we do a lot of Omega-3 index testing um, at our pharmacy. So that's a one where if you know someone's level, it's easy to kind of dose up into the, the higher range. Um, and the one study that always will stick out in my mind as it relates to omega-3s just for health was there was a study that came out in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, uh, June of 21, showing that if your levels are less than 4.2%, which almost everyone's will be if you're not supplementing, it was as predictive of mortality as what being a current smoker is. Wow. So that, that was, again, correlation doesn't always equal causation. But that being said, that was a pretty powerful result when I read it. Well, and, you know, it's pretty easy to take a omega-3 supplement, so why not? Yeah. Um, speaking of omega-3 supplements, are they all created the same? Omega-3 is also known as fish oil. Yep. Um, are they all created the same? No, uh, that'd be great if they were. Um, you can see omega-3s in a couple different forms. Um, one is the ethyl ester form. Uh, the other is the um, restarifer triglyceride form. Um, all the research that I've seen has seemed to indicate that uh, getting the triglyceride form is the optimal for absorption for the body. Um, the other thing I always tell people with omega-3s is if you're going to be spending a little bit extra on a supplement to ensure quality, I mean, obviously we want quality for everything, but one to really be conscious of is omega-3s um, simply because of heavy metals, um, you know, make sure it's pro- properly distilled. Uh, the ever, other thing I always look at is you want to make sure that what you're consuming. So with beating oil, omega-3, it can go rancid. So that's the idea of having smelly fish, you know, type thing. It's really important that you're getting it from a quality source where you can ensure it hasn't went rancid or been out in a lot of sunlight or things of that nature. Well, and I, this is what I'll tell my patients, um, especially with omega-3s, um, you get what you pay for. And if it smells like fish or tastes like fish, it's rancid, it's rotten, yeah. it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the, like you say, the triglyceride back form or backbone is the best absorbed and it's important. It's harder to manufacture. That's why it's a little bit more expensive. But from what I understand too, the triglyceride back form, a backbone is the more natural form, mm-hmm. how it's found in the wild, but it makes it harder to manufacture and keep it stable. So the most expense, the, the best supplements will have the triglyceride back form mm-hmm. or backbone. No, it's, it, it's like they always say uh, when it comes to cost as it relates to supplements, um, the most expensive supplement is the supplement that doesn't work for you. Um, and that's where it goes to like, Hey, if you buy some good quality, that is worth a hundred times more than the $2 one that you bought that doesn't do anything for you. Right. Exactly. 
So what are we missing? What what's what are the foundation supplements we missing? Yep. So we get a multivitamin. I do a multivitamin uh, just because it, it covers nutritional ba- uh, basis. You know, a quality one. Um, you know, it can be hard to get everything from a diet alone. Again, I'm a dietitian. I always go with the food first approach. You know, that's we believe food is medicine. Um, but my diet isn't always perfect. You know, don't tell anyone. It'll kill my street cred with uh, dietitians. But it's not always <laughs> perfect. <laughs> um, so that that's one I'll put emphasis on. Um, as well. Uh, the other one I didn't mention, it's not necessarily part of our uh, foundational six, but the one that's like the right on the border that in almost all my protocols I use with people um, is taurine powder. Um, are you familiar with taurine? A little bit. I know about taurine, um, about um, skin health and brain health, because taurine kind of works to, to protect the cardiovascular system too, doesn't it? Yeah. A, a lot of cool benefits uh, with yeah. taurine. Um, it, it's been shown to kind of upregulate antioxidant production in, in one's body. So you kind of stimulate your own antioxidant systems, uh, with a taurine, um, from, a you know, an outcome standpoint, it's been shown to speed up muscle recovery post uh, physical exercise, um, on more of the health level, it's been shown to reduce blood pressure in amounts as low as like 1.5 grams a day. Um, it's also been shown to help with uh, blood sugar levels. And again, I always think about brain health, like your brain is something I always want to be as sharp as possible. Um, there's been some research in terms of like traumatic brain injury showing that, uh, taurine use, uh, helps to reduce inflammation, speed up recovery. Um, probably a couple of the other things I love about it is just the fact it's, it's a tasteless powder that dissolves instantly. And, uh, like an effective dose is like only costs like 17, 18 cents a day. It's kind of in that oh, three wow. to four gram dose. So I always think like, man, I usually lose more money than that out of my coat pocket holes than <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's like that's an easy one to add on that doesn't necessarily, you know, um, kill the wallet uh, too bad. Yeah, for sure. Let's go back on multivitamin quickly. Um, tell us about US RDA minimum requirements and what you actually recommend. Oh, that's a great point. Uh, I usually recommend significantly more than the RDA levels, um, especially if you, I was still be, you know, I think most people were surprised. So if you have your, your supplement bottle, you have the nutrition facts panel on it and you see something that says like 2000% of the daily value or 3000 or whatever it is, those can be intimidating if you don't know better. It's like, oh my gosh, is this toxic at these levels? I don't think most people realize is that the daily values were based off the 1968 RDAs. So in terms of that, it hasn't changed in the past you know, 55 years in terms of what that percentage is based on. So although the RDAs have uh, changed since that original time period, the actual daily value that those numbers are based on has not been updated. Yeah, and those numbers, if you look back into it, um, we could have a whole podcast on that. But when those numbers were originally made up, the USRDA originally made up post World War II, it was it was um, on how much a nutrient, how much of a nutrient it took to prevent a disease, i.e., scurvy. Scurvy. Mm-hmm. So the USRDA of of vitamin C is sixty milligrams, and what they would do is they would deplete people of um, post. Uh, uh, post-war uh, veterans, World War II veterans, they would deplete them in vitamin C until they got scurvy, and then they would replete them with a certain amount until 50% of them of their scurvy sim- symptoms went away, and that was the USRDA, 60 milligrams. Well, I don't know about you, but I won't want a chance of 50% of my myself getting scurvy. So 
you know, the numbers are way, way conservative and way low. And, and they're also based on when our foods were grown in different environments, you mm-hmm. know, that the mineral content and the vitamin content of our soil was different. So. No, it's, and, and that's, those, those are key points that I think can easily get missed. You know, it, you know, our food supply isn't what it used to be um, back then. So as we wrap this podcast up, Sean, I want to have you on again because I heard you guys make up some, your guys' pharmacy makes up custom supplements. Is that correct? That, that is correct. Uh, yeah. it's, it's almost like uh, when you talk about compounding pharmacies, uh, we're actually focused on compounding essential vitamin, uh, nutrient supplement specific, you know, to an individual's body. So our whole goal is to dial things as much as possible. It's kind of like if you look at a multivitamin, I always figure probably 33% of the ingredients are close to what I need. 33% is probably more than what I need. 33% is probably less than what I need. <laughs> right. Um, so again, and we just hate taking pills, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so th- that is one of the neat things that uh, we were able to do with our pharmacy. And um, we're looking to, you know, support people. Again, our goal as a pharmacy is to get people off of medications or prevent them from ever needing them in the first place. Absolutely. I, I love it. And as, as pharmacists, my wife and I speak about that. And it's a very powerful thing to have pharmacists that say they don't want people to take medications long term. So mm-hmm. that's a very powerful statement. So Sean, what do you have a passion for? Uh, my passion is uh, just helping people thrive in life. Um, I get excited. I always jokingly tell people like, I feel like I have jet fuel in my veins most days, like just <laughs> the race to get out of bed. Um, I'm personally passionate. I I love working out myself. That's kind of my, uh, um, passion is, uh, more of a weightlifter than endurance athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, but I love doing that type of stuff and just passionate about helping people get healthy, achieve performance. Um, I've been very blessed and fortunate to have many good experiences in life in that regards. I love it. So we're going to go ahead and stream your pharmacy's website. And if anybody has any questions, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, questions is, uh, people are always able to, um, you know, through our website, you know, connect me, probably the best ways on Facebook. I'm really uh, active. Uh, it's just, uh, Sean Casey. Um, my Instagram handle is, uh, S T Casey, uh, 34 or S T C A S E Y 34, um, on there. So please reach out. I love conversation. Um, I'm active in the sport pharmacy, uh, Facebook group. Um, so yeah, love to talk more. I love it, Sean. So one thing I noticed on your guys' pharmacy website, it talks about educate and empower. Yep. And I will tell you that the goal of our podcast is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. And I think you've helped us realize that goal today, Sean. So thank you so much. Hey, well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, let's stay in touch. All right, bye now. Listeners and viewers of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, tune in Thursday for our midweek podcast at 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We'll have Jason Goodman on. He is a personal trainer and has some um, different ways, unique ways on how to help you work your way to health and lose weight. So tune in Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for listening and watching. 